It's Friday the 8th of October. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's top headlines, record rainfall in Italy, and highs and lows for climate in Ireland's National Development Plan. And also coming up on this week's show, has Ireland shown the world the way forward with citizen engagement on climate change? Kalyanis gives Cara some tips for helping wildlife, and what have bog slides got to do with wind farms and Amazon? Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I am Dara Wynn and we're going to be with you every week in October and November, acting as a one-stop shop for climate information. So when you tune in to us, you'll hear some climate news, you'll hear of people doing great work around the country, Hopefully you'll learn a few things and be told about actions and events that you can get involved with. We're going to start off this episode and every episode by reviewing some of this week's main climate news stories. So I'm joined today by Kira Tiernan and first Anna Pringle. How are you doing, Anna? Good morning, Dara. I'm doing well, thank you. So what stories were you looking at this week? So I didn't think that this show was just going to be where we come on and talk about the weather because that feels like a little bit of a climate cliche. But there was some unbelievable weather in Italy this Monday that I think we have to start with. So the 12 hour European rainfall record was broken Uh, where 740 millimetres fell in 12 hours. Um, There was 900 millimetres in 24 hours. Um, And that's a lot of numbers. So to give you some context on that, that is more rain in one day in parts of Italy than we would see in Dublin in one year, in one average year. Wow. Wow. A little more context is 180 millimeters in one hour. So uh, in one hour, they got about the same amount of rain as we would get in most of the country in January, which is our wettest month. So a month of Irish winter rainfall in one hour in Italy. That is hard to even get your head around, Dara. Um, I don't remember seeing much about this in the Irish press or media. Did it get a lot of coverage? Uh, It didn't get much coverage here at all. Um, I don't know if it was because maybe there was less death and destruction than in the floods we saw in Germany and Belgium in the summer that got quite a lot of coverage here. But from a climate perspective, it is really significant. It certainly sounds that way. And I did note that Matt Aaron issued a, a yellow rainfall warning. It's currently for the northwest and west of Ireland. So hopefully it's not at that scale of rain. Hopefully not. So now I am joined by the lovely Kira Tiernan to tell us about um, what was the big story in Ireland this week, which is the National Development Plan. It was announced on Monday and it is going to be the largest ever spending plan in Ireland to take us to 2030, which has been billed by the government as a plan for a cleaner, greener, connected Ireland. So, Kira, I know you've been looking at some of the aspects of that. What struck you about it? 
Um, well, Anna, I have been looking at the plans related to transport. So the budget for transport in the National Development Plan is going to be 35 billion euro up to the year 2030. And of that 35 billion euro, 12 billion will be going to public transport, 6 billion on roads, 4 billion on walking and cycling, and another 13 billion on maintenance. Now, transport generates 20% of Ireland's total greenhouse gas emissions, and half of those emissions come from private cars. So that sounds like good news from a climate perspective, because we're going to be emphasising public transport more, is that right? Absolutely. It is good news that more money is being spent on public transport. Um, it's definitely needed if Ireland is to make the major changes in switching to walking, cycling and public transit. Um, but to support those changes, infrastructure is needed. Um, and that's what the plan is all about, Kira. right? It's about building some of that infrastructure that we need. Absolutely. So what was this we heard about Eamon Ryan saying that prices won't come down on public transport until more people use it? Is that not a bit back to front? Yes. Unfortunately, Eamon Ryan admitted that there was little prospect of reducing fares in the short term. Um, we would argue that that's probably the opposite way to be doing things. I mean, when you think about it, a train journey for one person from Dublin to Cork um, costs over 80 euro. I mean, that just doesn't make sense if you have a family of people who are traveling together. Um, but in other European countries, like in Austria, um, they have a climate transport ticket available to residents, which works out at just under three euro a day. And you can take any form of public transport. Um, that's the kind of radical action that I'd love to see here in Ireland um, for making the shift to more sustainable transport. Absolutely, Kira. You'd hardly get into town and back for that here. Too right. So I, we did hear, though, that there is going to be a new train station in Dublin, right? Absolutely. There's a new train station in Pelletstown, um, which is in Cabra. And that's some good news to uh, end the transport section on. Um, the more people who take public transit, um, the less cars that there will be on the road, meaning less pollution and less overall emissions as well. Um, so cleaner air and just a, a better a better standard of life for everyone. Kira, didn't our emissions, our transport emissions fall last year because of COVID? They did, Anna. Um, the transport emissions fell by 14% last year, but that's quite low considering the heavy lockdown restrictions. Um, we need our transport emissions to fall by 51% by 2030 um, to keep in line with our climate commitments and to keep in line with a 1.5 degree climate. Great. So there's a lot to be done. And actually related to that, um, we can start to see some tensions growing over those commitments. I was reading the Farming Independent this week, which is becoming a must read for me. And they pointed out that in there are tensions rising within the government over farming emissions. And this is also related to the National Development Plan. Okay. And do you think this is more of what's to come in terms of carbon taxing and tensions? Yeah, absolutely. What we're seeing, I think, is every sector is going to have its own carbon budget. So the Farming Independent is reporting that the agriculture sector is worried that with all of the transport sector changes that they might have to do more. So we, I think we will see that over the next couple of months as carbon budgets are agreed that different sectors will be competing to possibly do less. 
sounds like a big challenge ahead, but I think at times like this, it's important to look at what the opportunities are um, in taking climate action and hopefully we can shift our lens to collaboration um, instead of competition. I mean, climate action means safer and healthier environments for us all. It means better prices for farmers. It means access to good public transport and overall just a a better standard of living for, for everyone, farmers and commuters alike. Well done, Kira. You're absolutely right. And hopefully all the sectors will keep that in mind as we develop our budgets in the next while. Here's hoping. And we're going to head back over to Dara now um, to discuss an interesting headline that we noticed in the Irish Times. Dara? Yeah, so the headline has subsequently changed, but what it initially said was, could Ireland be a winner from climate change? Well, what do you think of that? I think the article should be one word and that word should be no. Um, I think what's kind of at the heart of this is a misconception about what climate change is. Climate change isn't going to be a case of us waking up one morning and suddenly having a Mediterranean climate where we can grow exotic foods and go for tropical beach holidays. Um, The focus should be on the word change. The next century is going to be characterized by our climate constantly changing. That means unpredictability. It means instability and it means more extreme weather. And so that brings its challenges because it's not like we can rely on the weather for a good holiday. It's not like we can even rely on the weather for growing food as much as we have been able to in the past. So could Ireland be a winner from climate change? No, is the answer to that. I would ask the question instead, could Ireland be a winner from climate action? And as you've referred to already, I think the answer is absolutely in taking climate action, we should be paying our farmers more for sequestering carbon, for protecting biodiversity. We should be providing people with sustainable, cheaper public transport options so that we have cleaner air and people are spending less money on private car usage. We should have more sustainable diets where we're also healthier as a result of them. So... That is the question I think that we should be asking. And speaking of climate action, every week Kira is going to provide us with the Irish Enviro event guide where we find out about some events, campaigns and actions that people can get involved with this week. So over to you, Kira. The Climate Alarm Clock presents the Irish Enviro event guide with Kira Tiernan. So yes, starting out in Antrim, if you're interested in upcycling and resource repair, Habitat for Humanity Ireland are hosting repurposed workshops on the 12th and 13th of October at their Restore in Lisburn County, Antrim. The workshops are free to attend and you can register through eventbrite.ie. And for our friends in Dublin, the National Botanic Gardens in Glasnevin are hosting bi-weekly Meet the Native Trees tours every Wednesday and Saturday at 2pm. You'll learn 
about the shapes, sizes and stories of our native trees, as well as their importance to the Irish landscape, you can register through botanicgardens.ie. In Clondalkin Library, there's a book launch for A Different Eden, Eco-Poetry from Ireland. And this book from 50 contemporary poets asks how we live in this world and urges action along with a shift from ego to eco. The launch includes a panel discussion and takes place on the 12th of October from 7 to 8 p.m. Down in Wicklow, you can connect with the natural world and join Alex from Understory for a wild food foraging workshop on Saturday, October the 9th. Um, Tickets are limited and by donation. Uh, You'll learn to identify local trees, plants and fungi. You can look forward to a leisurely walk and refreshments made with locally sourced ingredients. Um, Waterford IT Growth Hub School of Business are hosting a free seminar mapping a social economy ecosystem in a hybrid model of in-person and virtual participation. The event takes place on Thursday the 7th of October from 9am until 1pm either in person or on Zoom and you can expect speakers on EU policy, social enterprise and social economy followed by roundtable workshops. Online, you can learn about the return of ospreys into Ireland with Birdwatch Ireland. Um, so there's currently no nesting population in Ireland, but there is a growing Scottish population, which will likely lead to osprey recolonization in the future. Um, the event is being hosted on Zoom on Tuesday, the 12th of October at 8 p.m. And you can contact Peter Phillips at pmpphillips at gmail.com to register. And more details available on birdwatch.ie. Um, and then lastly, Irish, Irish Schools Climate and Nature Summit is taking place for primary and post-primary teachers um, or anyone who's interested in climate change education. And you can join the organization for a panel discussion on October 12th at 7 p.m. That event is taking place on Zoom. Um, that's it for this week's events. If you know of any upcoming events that could be featured, please do get in touch with us at climatealarmclock at gmail.com. Thanks, Kira. You are listening to the Climate Alarm Clock podcast. Still to come, have Ireland shown the world the way forward on citizen engagement when it comes to climate change? Kali Ennis tells Kara how we can all do our bit to help nature. But before we leave the newsroom, it's time for our Climate Connection story. Every week, Anna chooses a non-climate related story that made the headlines and tells us how it's connected to climate change. So Anna, what story were you looking at this week? Dara, the story that caught my eye this week is uh, one that disturbed me in a lot of ways, although it did give me some um, improved classical education. Do you know what a hecatomb is? I don't, Anna. Well, we'll come back to that. But, you know, as we know, we've been watching all the Brexit issues as they've unfolded in Britain, and there's been queues for petrol, bare supermarket shelves. But this week, it took another turn where we heard that up to 120,000 pigs might have to be slaughtered and incinerated because of labour shortages. They don't have enough migrant workers in Britain post-Brexit. There aren't enough staff to butcher the pigs for meat, so they're likely to be destroyed. It's a shocking story in and of itself, Anna. Uh, What has it got to do with climate change, though? Well, The Economist reported this week that animal-based foods account for 57% of agricultural greenhouse gases. 
So obviously the pork industry is part of that. So, you know, it's the waste of that food means that those emissions are happening with no benefit whatsoever. And then I think to make the story worse, we had the spectacle of of Boris Johnson dismissing it as just part of our food processing industry, killing a lot of animals. And that's where he dazzled us with his classical education. So we now know that a hecatomb is a public sacrifice of 100 oxen. So Johnson's perspective, as was reported in The Guardian and elsewhere, just seems to be that, oh, ho-hum, this is part of a necessary Brexit transition. Yeah, it's it's really tough to listen to because, as you've sort of alluded to, we have such a broken food system as it is. Um, 10% of global emissions come from food waste, food that is produced, that is never eaten. And this is Brexit, a political problem, making that situation even worse, where we now have animals that are just going to be killed without even getting the benefit of the meat. Yes, absolutely, Dara. It's 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 disturbing to say the least um, and from an animal welfare point of view there are already all sorts of issues with intensive farming but killing so many animals without any food benefits it's a horrible story that was anna pringle there who'll be back for the first of a four-part feature a little later on about wind farms bog slides and amazon but first up is our climate science explainer The climate alarm clock is, in some sense, a follow-up to a previous podcast, The Covid Alarm Clock, which looked at the parallels between the Covid and climate crisis and asked what lessons we could learn. We're handing over to my Covid Alarm Clock co-host, Ellen Hegarty, for our weekly climate science explainer. Thanks, Dara. Each week, I'll be providing a little explanation around the science of climate change, and I'm going to start by explaining what causes global warming and why it's a code red for humanity. By now, I think we all know about the greenhouse effect. Some gases in the atmosphere, like carbon dioxide, methane, and even water vapour, trap some of the sun's heat. And this is actually really important, because without these gases, the Earth's average temperature would be over 30 degrees cooler, and life as we know it wouldn't exist. But since the onset of the Industrial Revolution, we have pumped more and more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, mainly through burning fossil fuels like coal and gas and oil. And this is causing a huge problem. These increased levels of greenhouse gases mean that more heat is trapped in Earth's atmosphere. So since 1880, the average global temperature has actually gone up by 1.2 degrees Celsius. And if you consider that the average temperature on Earth is 15 degrees Geologically, this is a huge and rapid change. And if we just think about our own body as an analogy, if our body temperature increased by 1.2 degrees, we'd be really, really sick. We would have a fever. The IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, is a United Nations body. And in August 2021, they published their latest report which is collated from all of the up-to-date scientific um, research about climate change. It made for really grim reading. It found that widespread and rapid changes have already occurred within our climate system and that many of these changes are irreversible and that greater changes are inevitable. It's little wonder that UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres described it as a code red for humanity. With just 1.2 degrees of warming, 
the impacts that we are already seeing include more frequent extreme weather events and sea level rise. And this causes devastation for people and animals and ecosystems. We just have to think back to this summer and the extreme flash flooding we saw in Germany, China and the US and the record-breaking temperatures in Canada. The IPCC's best-case scenario estimates that we will reach 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming by 2040. And while this isn't good, we can still prevent the more catastrophic scenarios of 2, 3 or even 4 degrees of warming from becoming a reality. Now, to do that, the IPCC says that we need to make deep reductions in greenhouse gas emissions and we need to do that urgently. And I think it's really important to focus on the positive, that there's still so much we can save and we can make the world a happier, healthier and fairer place in the process. But to achieve this, we need to take radical systemic action and we need to take it now. Thanks, Ellen. You are listening to The Climate Alarm Clock, Ireland's weekly climate news podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Climate Alarm Clock and on Twitter at The Climate Alarm. If you have a story to share, a climate event to promote or would like to collaborate with us, you can also email us on climatealarmclock at gmail.com. Still to come, have Ireland shown the world the way forward on citizen engagement with climate change? But first... We are delighted to be collaborating with other Irish environmental podcasters and we're now going to hand you over to Cara Carney from the Book of Leaves podcast. With over 50 episodes under her belt, Cara talks to people from all walks of life, including business owners, activists, influencers, farmers, actors, parents, doctors, all of whom are doing their bit for the planet and everyone on it. Cara will be conducting short interviews with inspirational environmentalists for us. Dara. This week I actually went back to a past interviewee of mine called Collie Ennis who I interviewed in episode 15 and we chatted about bringing biodiversity back into your garden. So we're going to listen to his suggestion of something that we can all do and this would have immediate, pretty immediate results in benefiting the local wildlife from the smallest critters to the slightly bigger hedgehogs. You never know who might visit your garden if you take a leaf out of Collie's book so I will let him introduce himself and give you his ideas. Hi my name is Collie Ennis and I'm a research associate with the Trinity College Zoology Department and a science officer with the Herpetological Society of Ireland and the two leaves I'd like to give you out of my personal book for looking after biodiversity and nature is first and foremost to leave a mess for nature. Nature loves a mess and in these modern times we seem to be very obsessed with tidiness and cleanliness in our gardens and our public spaces. So whether you have a balcony on an apartment or whether you're fortunate enough to have your own bit of a garden or plot of land or even if you have a shared community space, leave a small area wild covered in branches and rocks and places for bugs to hide out and leave that wild for nature it will draw in animals almost immediately um, and it's a wonderful uh, way and a very easy and effective way 
of bringing uh, nature into these spaces. So leave a bit of a mess. Twigs, old wood, rocks, branches, pile them all up, leave them there. You don't have to invest in a very fancy bug hotel. You can just reuse uh, natural occurring um, material like uh, what I just listed there and just pile it up and watch nature arrive. My second leaf that I'd like to suggest to people is build a pond. Now, a pond doesn't have to be an epic lake in a Georgian mansion. A pond can be a plastic tub for one of your hardware stores. Sink it in the ground or leave it up raised and and build it up around it uh, with rocks and, and, and branches and plants so that animals can get in now. But anything that holds standing water anywhere, even if it's in a built-up city, something will arrive and use it, Um, whether it be invertebrates like mosquitoes. They're not all bad. They feed bats uh, and they don't really bite us in Ireland. But So they're, they're, they're a great little thing that will arrive. Midges, hoverfly lava will arrive. I guarantee you those species of animals will arrive. If you're very fortunate, you'll get frogs and newts maybe dragonflies. It's a wonderful, wonderful way of encouraging nature and giving nature a space. If you combine that with leaving a mess for nature, so that pile of rubble I talked about earlier on, natural rubble with a small pond beside it and maybe even some native wildflowers or just don't mow your lawn around that area, a few metres squared, that combination will be essential for the local wildlife in your area so there's my two leaves uh, to take from my book and uh, best of luck with them now so they are some simple but really effective suggestions from Collie if you want to hear some more and more about his story into how he became as big into biodiversity and critters as he is you can listen to the episode that I recorded with him in his Critter Shed for episode 15 of Book of Leaves he also has his own podcast called Critter Shed which I would definitely recommend checking out it's very educational and you learn a lot about the critters that we have in Ireland so this is our suggestions for this episode Thanks, Cara. Looking forward to the next interview already. Now, the Paris Agreement, IPCC reports, Climate Action Plan, Climate Bill, Green New Deal. There is so much climate policy out there, and yet we barely seem to make a dent on actually taking effective action. But a huge part of taking climate action is holding politicians to account. And to do that, you have to speak their language and know a bit about the legislation. So throughout the series, we'll be bringing you explainers about climate policy. And we're handing over now to Rachel Lockery to see how Ireland might be leading the way when it comes to citizen engagement on climate action. Hi Dara, we're going to start our climate policy feature with an interesting bunch of people. Well, of this group, 80% said they would be willing to pay higher taxes on carbon intensive activities. 89% were in favour of a tax on greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture. And 93% were in favour of greatly increasing the number of bus lanes, cycle lanes and park and ride facilities that we have. You might be expecting these radical recommendations to come from a climate activist group like Extinction Rebellion. But actually, these are the recommendations of a group of 99 randomly selected Irish citizens who formed the Citizens' Assembly. The Assembly was formed in 2016 
and brought Irish citizens together to discuss and make recommendations on important legal and policy issues. The Assembly worked under principles like openness, fairness, equality of voice and respect. In addition to climate change, the Citizens' Assembly deliberated on the Eighth Amendment, recommending that it be repealed, which it subsequently was in a referendum. The Assembly members were average Irish citizens, just like you or me. They were randomly selected from the electoral register and invited to participate in the Assembly over seven weekends between 2016 and 2018. The 99 members were representative of Irish society in terms of age, gender, social class and regional spread. The Assembly spent two whole weekends deliberating on climate change. Members listened to expert presentations, they asked questions, they had discussions on topics like energy, transport and agriculture, they also considered over 1,000 public submissions. Based on that work, the Assembly made 13 recommendations on climate change. In addition to the ones mentioned earlier, 97% recommended ensuring climate change is at the centre of policy making in Ireland. And 100% recommended that the state take a leadership role in addressing climate change. The Citizen Assembly demonstrates that when the public are given an opportunity to learn about and discuss climate change, they support the radical change needed to avoid environmental catastrophe. Since Ireland held our Assembly on climate, a number of countries, including France, Canada, Spain, Germany and the UK, have followed suit. This is such a great source of hope. In Ireland, the Assembly's recommendations influenced the government's Climate Action Plan. But the Climate Action Plan didn't take on board all the important recommendations. Because of that, there is still more to be done. The Climate Action Plan will be updated soon, so now is a good time to keep the pressure on our politicians. We need to push them to make their climate action promises become climate action realities. If you would like to see all the Assembly's recommendations implemented in the new Climate Action Plan, we encourage you to email your local TDs. Ask them if they support the recommendations on what steps they will take to see them implemented. We think it's time for the state to take that leadership role that was endorsed by 100% of citizens in the Assembly. That was Rachel Lockery telling us about the Citizens' Assembly. Such a hopeful story for me that when people are given the information, they want to see radical action, but also in terms of the impact Ireland can have. Lots of countries have followed suit in holding citizens' assemblies, and indeed in COP26 in Glasgow, there is going to be a global assembly backed by the UN, where a 100 citizens representative of the entire global population are going to be discussing climate issues. So we're real trendsetters here in Ireland and it just shows that we can make a difference when it comes to climate action on a global scale. And last up this week, in November 2020, there was a bog slide in Meme Bog, County Donegal. We're handing back to Anna Pringle for the first of a four-part feature about what this has to do with the climate crisis, wind farms and data centres. 
This is a story in four parts about how a remote mountain bog slide exposes the links between wind energy and big data. On Friday the 13th of November 2020, a bog slide started in the hills near Barnesmore Gap in County Donegal. Word quickly spread that there was a problem at the Mean Bog Wind Farm. Slowly, over the weekend, the bog continued to move and community concerns grew. A video of the bog slide emerged. It's shot from a road built into the bog, and at first it's hard to comprehend it when you look at it. The bog is moving, sliding slowly down a gentle slope. Trees are moving with it, tall Sitka spruce sliding past, upright, the roots too shallow to hold them in place. By Monday, the extent of the damage from the bog burst could be seen and felt miles from Mean Bog. The displaced peat carried across the border into Tyrone. The impact of the bog slide was devastating on the nearby Mornbeg River and its valuable fish stocks. The water in the river was pitch black and the Castle Derg water treatment plant had to be shut down. How do bog slides happen and what does it have to do with climate action? Mean Bog was not the first bog slide in Ireland, or even the first one last year. In Leitrim, there was a bog slide down Shass Mountain that engulfed the unfortunately named Bridge of Hope. An investigator there described it as looking like a bomb crater after the bog burst. Rainfall patterns have been changing as Ireland warms. Some predictions say that we'll have warmer summers and wetter winters in future. Heavy rain appears to have been a factor in all the bog slides last year. For six weeks last spring, there were near drought conditions in the west, but then heavy rain fell on Shass Mountain before its bog burst in July. And Donegal's rainfall in November was 30% above normal. Drought can crack the bog, and then, followed by heavy rain, gets into the cracks, and that has a big impact. So rain was one factor, but all the bogs had forestry plantations nearby too. Only Mean Bog had a wind farm, but Ireland's most notorious bog slide was at Derry Bryan Wind Farm in County Galway in 2003, triggered by wind farm construction. The European Commission brought Ireland to the European Court of Justice over that landslide, and the Irish government is still paying the fines that resulted. Wind farms need extensive networks of roads to put the turbines in place and to service them as they're operating. Forestry also needs roads, and Sitka spruce plantations on peatlands need drainage so the trees can grow. A combination of construction, planting and climate change can damage the stability of the bogs. Locals always knew that mean bog was unstable. They said it wasn't suitable for trees, never mind for wind construction. But the Irish government's 2019 Climate Action Plan has made expanding wind energy a national priority. To meet the emissions reduction targets, onshore wind would have to double by 2030 to about 8.2 gigawatts. The plan also sets a forestry priority, aiming to almost double the hectares per annum planted in forestry by 2030. And it wants to protect peatlands too, by re-wetting 40,000 hectares every year. Mean Bog is an example of a site where these three priorities appear to be mutually incompatible, raising questions about how Ireland will deliver on the ambitious targets in its climate action plan. But what has all this got to do with Amazon? What has a giant American company got to do with a wind farm in a bog in Donegal? We'll tell you about that next week. Looking forward to next week already, Anna. Well, that's it for us this week. Thank you for listening to the Climate Alarm Clock. Before you go, 
here's a reminder of the action that you can take this week. You can attend some of the events that Kira mentioned, and if there's nothing going on near you, Birdwatch Ireland have an online talk about the Osprey where you can learn more. You can figure out how to leave some more space for nature in your garden, or you can email your TDs and tell them you want to see all the recommendations of the Citizens' Assembly fully implemented. And in the coming weeks, we'll be providing more support on how best to communicate to your representatives on climate action. If you enjoyed this episode, please spread the word, give us a review, tell your friends, and don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Climate Alarm Clock and on Twitter at The Climate Alarm. <laughs>